Our hearts broke over the weekend with the news of the great tragedy in Nepal, news that seems to only grow worse by the day. We continue to hold the people, especially the Church of Nepal, in our prayers through this great disaster. Later this week, the seminary will be sending a check of $5,000 to the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance Relief Program for Nepal. We'll pass out uh, through email instructions for how any of you can add to that gift, if you would like, by the end of the week. Also closer to home, um, some of you uh, were in Professor Cherry's class this morning when she uh, passed out. I know that was a very disturbing experience, uh, especially for Ellen. Uh, she is uh, at the hospital, is doing fine. Uh, she was just simply dehydrated. She'll be discharged this afternoon. She's in good shape. But keep her in your prayers as well. Let's now turn our attention to Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the believers and stayed with them for one day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea. We went to the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. While we were staying there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us and took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it, and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since you would not be persuaded, we remained silent, except to say the Lord's will be done. The word of the Lord. Be gracious, O God, to our seeking of the word that can come only from your Holy Spirit. It make its way deep into our hearts and draw us closer to you, the giver of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a time and in a part of the world that confronts us with more choices than any people in history have ever known. You can choose where you will live. You can choose where you will worship, what you will eat, where you will go to school. You can choose what kind of work you will do and for whom you will do it. You can choose your relationships and your community. You can choose if, who you will marry and if you will marry. You can choose how many children you will have if you choose to have children. Now those of us who live by faith We'll typically pray for direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit as we make these choices. The challenge is that we live in a community of faith, and there are other people's choices that will impact our lives as well. For example, you may feel led by the Holy Spirit to a very particular ministry. So you interview for this ministry, you put your best forward, you pray and pray about it, and then one day you get a call from the prospective employer who says, 
we felt led to give this job to someone else. Or maybe you felt led by the Holy Spirit to work very hard through your master's program in order to enter a graduate program when you leave here. Only you cannot get accepted into a reputable doctoral program. Or maybe you felt absolutely led to enter into a lifelong covenant with another person. But that other person felt led out of the relationship. This is not only a disappointment, these kind of things create a spiritual problem for us. We wonder how two people filled with the Holy Spirit, seeking the Spirit's guidance, could come to such different conclusions. How How could we be wrong in our pursuit of God's will? Or how could one of us have been wrong? Maybe God's will is not so much about our choices. Maybe God's will is about God's choices. When Paul and Luke and Silas left um, Ephesus, it was because Paul felt compelled by the Holy Spirit, that's the exact quote, compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, even though the elders at the church of Ephesus didn't get that. On his way down, the first place the ship stops is in Tyre. It spends a week there. Paul spends those seven days with the church in Tyre. And we're told in verse four that through the Holy Spirit, the church told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now that's a striking line of scripture. Just a few verses earlier, we're told that Paul was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and the church entire says no. In fact, through the Holy Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Luke just lets that hang there. Paul gets back on the ship. He goes as far as Caesarea, and the same thing happens again. He stays with Philip, who has four daughters who are prophets, Agabus comes over, he's a prophet. Agabus says, you're going to get all bound and imprisoned in in Jerusalem. And the church there, and Luke is speaking in the first person plural, he says, we, apparently even Luke thought it was a bad idea to go to Jerusalem. All these people are filled with the Spirit. So how can this be? How can Paul be compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem and the Spirit-filled church compelled to prevent him from continuing to go. Question basically assumes that if two people are both filled with the Holy Spirit and seek the Spirit's direction, that they will be told the same thing. And the book of Acts is not so sure about that. After this spirit-filled debate continued in Caesarea for a bit, Luke concludes it by saying, when we discovered that we could not persuade Paul, we became silent, except to say, the Lord's will be done. 
Lord's will be done, sometimes that is distorted to uh, have kind of a deterministic edge to it, that God's will will manifest in our actions, that we will do God's will. I think just the opposite is actually true. I think the will of God is to make us free, free to choose, because that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. You see, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is not to give us certainty about direction. The work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us into Jesus Christ, the risen and ascended Christ, to adopt us into the Son's own beloved relationship with the Father. That's the work of the Spirit. And that then creates tremendous freedom in our lives. If it is, in fact, the will of God to draw us home to God, then you are free to choose without any anxiety that you could possibly choose your way outside of the love of God. Go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, you're not going to lose the love of God. That's what the Holy Spirit is primarily focused on, making you a free person. That's what the will of God is primarily about, to make you free as you were created to be. To be filled with the Spirit means to return to the dignity you were created with from the beginning. This person who is made in the image of God, a God who wills that you not be on your own in life, a God who wills that you be more than dust, more than sinner, a God who wills forgiveness, a God who wills gracious reconciliation, a God who wills that you be restored to being fully alive. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with that Spirit means to know life. This has always been the work of the Spirit. The Holy Ruach, remember, moved over the face of the deep, shoving aside darkness and chaos, creating light and beauty in its place. In the beginning, this has been the work of the Spirit. So is that the work of the Spirit in your life. Why would you settle for certainty when you can have that? It is the work of the Spirit, then, to give us life. Humans came to life through the holy breath of God. The church came to life when the Spirit came down upon it with the rush of a mighty wind and inflamed the church with passion. This is why the Nicene Creed says that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. That's why Irenaeus said that the definition of a human being is body, soul, and the Holy Spirit. So in the Spirit, fully alive, you are called upon to stand before God and the church and the world itself as a person who takes responsibility for her or his own choices, but as one who is free to do so because you know you are so beloved that all fear has been cast out. Do not assume that the church is completely of one mind, that it has captured the will of God. Some of the church's worst actions in its history have come 
with a grand consensus. And do not assume that if you pray fervently to be certain about the choices before you, that it's the Spirit's responsibility to give you that certainty. <laughs> to be certain about all choices would mean that you were an angel, which is something a little less than a human being. You have something the angels covet. You have freedom. But if you want to be free, you cannot be certain. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.